This episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us uh, not to read an ad, so hey, just enjoy the show. Hello? Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Oh, good. Many joys of the season to you. Oh, season joys to you, too. <laughs> season joys, joys of the season to you. Oh, Merlin oh. man, Merlin man, Merlin, Merlin man. man. Who's got a beard that used to be there? I'm not sure if it is there. Must be Roderick. Must hmm. be Roderick. Hmm. Claws. Hmm. <laughs> jing, 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 jingle. <laughs> what Bells. a depressing time of year. It's cold oh. and we have interferes. Jeez. Jeez. Psychosomatic sniffles every morning. <laughs> Just because it's a thing you feel doesn't mean that it is real. <laughs> Sniffing all the way. Do you sing I, with your family at Christmas time? Do you sing? Yes. Uh, uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, we do. Okay, sing. let's wrap it up. Yeah. Uh, my, daughter, child... my daughter sings some things, but she's not a Christmas carol singer. I don't think you get Christmas carols jammed down your gullet quite like we did as kids. Not that that's a bad thing, but I don't mm. think, I mean, like, she knows the tunes and she can, like, hum along, but, like, she's not, like, a Christmas carol person. Yeah, my my kid is into them. Um, um and uh you know i can't explain it i i was thinking about this uh just yesterday uh, the same thing you're talking about which is that christmas was really really stuffed up our noses in the 70s and 80s and it was I think, like it was like all it's like even at school even or especially yeah. at school yeah at a secular school even like christmas mm-hmm. was it for like oh. weeks you made things out of paper plates and you sang the songs and there was there wasn't a winter concert there was a christmas <laughs> show and you sang yes. at christmas and you liked it yes you did and there was a even in uh, even in secular school right a uh, a uh, a picture of the one star Shining down on the manger, wink with the little baby, and <laughs> there's a lot but, of that wink. <laughs> but uh, but you know we're we're remembering a time when there were only three television stations, mm-hmm. and uh, and yeah, and there were like there was like the newspaper. I mean, media was really was really constrained, and you couldn't opt out. And so I, I, but I was, I was realizing this because I was looking at my kid the the day before Christmas, and it was like, well, tomorrow's Christmas, and she, her reaction was like, oh, tomorrow's Christmas. What? Oh, are you, you kidding know, just, me? No, just sort of like she knew it was coming. <sighs> These millenniums we today, John. I can't. That's all my <laughs> no. daughters talked about since September. Well, I, I, yeah, I just feel like. When I thought about it, I realized, like, well, you know, I don't have a TV. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. If you don't have a TV, yeah. there's hardly any Christmas at all. Well, and, and you know, we walk around, and there's trees and stuff. But, yeah, trees. But we haven't really, um, I didn't take her to see the Nutcracker. Like, some of that stuff I that I wanted to do, I just kind of forgot. Like, Christmas sneaks up on you, you know what I'm saying? It sneaks right up on you. Sneaking up. And so I was like, oh, shit, I meant to take her to the Nutcracker. I meant to be a good dad. Um, we were at the mall for a completely separate reason early in December. And uh, 
and we're walking along and she's kind of doing her thing where she's like, oh, look at this. And you know, turning rocks over and like, look, there's a crab. And I'm like, in the mall? But she finds them. <laughs> and then I look up and I realize, holy shit, Santa's here already. And she couldn't see him. I could see, I couldn't see him either, but we were behind. He's usually obscured. Yeah, but 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 there were elves. There were oh, elves all around. Sure. And they were elves. Well, you know, there's smoke, there's fire, right? Yeah, right. They were elves with clipboards mm. in the mall. And you know that that bodes ill. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because if, if there's not a Santa there, then they're taking names for something. Yeah, it's a different time. Things have really changed. So I immediately turned no, around. Uh, be careful the- of an elf making a list. That's all I'm going to say today. See, right? See? Santa mm-hmm. makes the lists. When elves are making lists, oh. Do they call Juden Rot? What do you call that? <laughs> so, so I mean, <laughs> he's, he's the elf who runs the elf ghetto. He's the go-between. <laughs> he's the. It's the day the elf cried. <laughs> so, so I, I, I flip just, around. Just want to bring them joy in their last moments. <laughs> 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 I All right, so there's I, evidence I of elves. The elves have clipboards, and there's yeah, crabs. I take, there's crabs. Take in the mall. I, I grab her by the shoulders. She's looking at. She's looking at the, at the crabs, and I grab her and I say, "Sweetheart, she's, wait, hold it, hold it, let the crab go." And the crab skitters off. She, I'm like, "Sweetheart, listen, Santa's here." <laughs> it's like discovering. You just realized that John Wayne Gacy is there, and you're like, "Honey, I have to explain a lot of things very quickly." <laughs> Honey, listen. All right. Okay, and and it's and the thing is, it's like evening at the mall, and the mall is kind of empty, right? There's not like a huge line of people to see Santa. It's just, it's kind of an empty mall. And so I grab her and I'm like, "Sweetheart, around the corner here, Santa's here." And she was like, "Oh," and I said, "Yes, I know. Are you ready for this?" Because in the past we've had, you know, typical. Yeah, mixed feelings about Saint, mall Santas uh, from her, mm-hmm. right? Not exactly a hundred percent about sitting on the sitting on the knee. And so I'm like, you know, let's let's like, let's get collected here. Let's let's get organized. And she thinks about it and she's like, Yeah, I'm ready. I want to see Santa. I'm what? Like, I'm like, all right. She's like five or six. She's yeah, five and a half. So we kind of have a little. <sighs> That's little ballsy, tenet. John. That is a ballsy kid. And I'm still down on one knee, like, we're going to go around this corner, and it's gonna, then there's going to be Santa. She's like, all right. And I said, listen, I'm going to go reconnoiter. You stay here. She's like, cool. So I, she, she, she stay, she's standing there now. She's not looking, she's not looking at any, at any crabs anymore. We're, we're a team. We're working as a team. Mm-hmm. And so I go ahead, just looking like a normal everyday mall stroller. I'm not a guy. I'm just walking. I'm looking for a Radio Shack. I'm not somebody that an elf is going to talk to. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, And I walk up and around, and I circle the Santa, uh, you know, compound. And I judge, A, that Santa actually is fairly Santa-looking. He's not, um, you know, he doesn't look like he's on parole. Okay. He looks like uh, like it's it's actually his beard, you know. Like he, it's not. This isn't an embarrassing Santa. I have some pictures sitting on Santa's lap where the you know the, where the beard is up around his eyes. Oh, these are, these are really funnered in, you know. And the elves are the elves all look like twenty four year olds who like 
who got out of college, or, you know, they're, they're on college break and their parents said, you have to get a job while you're on college break. And, you know, they're, they're, they're not professional elves, right? right? right, right. They're, they are, uh, you get the, you get the sense that they're all living together in a trailer and that they're having a lot of sex, Okay, but they don't give a shit about, I mean, they're, they're, they're fun kids, you know, but they're not, their, their primary thing isn't this. Okay. I walk around, there's no other kids, no other parents. It's just Santa sitting there. And there's absolutely, definitely a, um, there's a cultural divide, a cultural wall between the kid elves who are chatting with each other and having fun and the lonely old Santa sitting in the chair with no, no, there's no elf hanging out with him. I was like, okay, all right. I'm scoping, but he doesn't seem like a creep, just, you know, creep radar. So I zoom back around and I'm like, okay, are you sure about this? And she's like, I'm sure. And I said, have you thought about what you want to talk to Santa about? And she's like, pretty good idea. And I said, let's go. So we whip around the corner and as soon as she sees him, she stops cold. And I was like, you think you're ready for Santa? Right. And I said, are we good here? She's like, you know, one curt nod and then straight in. She goes in, and Santa starts talking to her, and Santa is a German. He's he's speaking with a pretty heavy German accent. And I was like, all right. You know, Mm -hmm. he he moved here because his daughter lives here or something, and he, you know, and... And now he's uh, now he's working as a mall Santa. Couldn't, couldn't get passage to Brazil. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Argentina wouldn't have him. <laughs> oh, oh. They don't do that anymore. No, I know. They don't do that anymore. As far as we know. Because, because Mossad, they'll find you. They'll That's find right. you there. So, the, so she, she has a little tete-a-tete with him. They're like chit-chit-chit-chat. At low-tone chit-chat. Can I ask, is she, is she enlapped at this point? She she uh, she she gets up on the lab. They sit and talk with, with her on her feet for a while, and then she gets up on the lab. Okay. She she takes a a couple of halfway decent pictures, which isn't her normal mo. She likes to ruin pictures. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then we're in, we're out. And she's like, the whole rest of December, she never once says, "Let's go downtown to the you know to the Nordstrom Santa where the line." To see the Nordstrom Santa is four hours long. The crazy thing is that there's a Macy's Santa also. There's a Nordstrom Santa and a Macy's Santa downtown. The wait for the Nordstrom Santa is seriously four hours long. The line goes around the block. Well, the, the customer ma- service at that Santa is probably outstanding. Well, you know what? You can return anything. You bring in snow tires. They don't even sell snow tires. You can return anything that Santa, Santa says. Has to. To, Santa has to accept anything that you return. Yeah, and I don't know how I don't know how Nordstrom gets the top Santa. Uh, I don't even I I didn't wait in line to see him, so maybe he's just maybe, a, maybe they got scouts, uh, you know, like maybe, with the majors. It, it could be it could be a thing like you know the uh, up in Anchorage. Anchorage has legendarily good uh, striptease artists mm-hmm. because there's so much money, some so much cash money in Alaska that if you are a legendary uh, striptease. Uh, performer, oh. you, you want to go to Alaska because the your, your chances of somebody just coming off of a fishing boat or a gold mine and tipping you like forty two hundred dollars in one night, yeah. your chances are a lot better than they are in, uh, you know, like Boise. If, you, if you're a Lola, Anchorage is where you're headed. 
That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And so maybe uh, Seattle Nordstrom is like that for Santa's. Okay. Okay. You know what? I buy that. But crazy. It's not like Macy's has a bargain basement Santa. Macy's is a big company. They have a good Santa. No line. No waiting at the Macy's Santa. And everybody I talked to was like, they kind of like wrinkled their nose like, eh, Macy's Santa. You got to go to the Nordstrom Santa. And I, mm-hmm. You know, and I, when I was a kid, you went to the Frederick and Nelson Santa. But listen, I'm getting, I'm digressing. Yeah. The, pro, the, the point is that from that early Santa experience to the night before Christmas, she just was like, yeah, I know, it's Christmas and it's... But she didn't have that like completely immersive Christmas thing that we did that by the time Christmas got there, you were so hyped up. Mm. I remember sitting in the living room watching the, the tree twinkle on Christmas Eve, feeling like some... Feeling like a wise man was actually going to like... Come in through the front door riding a camel. Mm-hmm. You know, like it felt, was... it felt very, very real. Some, uh. Something I felt. I imagine you felt. Mm, I don't like. To, I'm trying not to tell too many stories about my kid, but you know, something I definitely felt with her. This was. I got to be very careful. We've been chided about talking too careful too much about this topic, but this yeah. was this was the year for her. Mm-hmm. This was the year of discovery and confirmation. Oh. Oh, I see. Um, of of I see. a certain uh, thing. Right. And at first, it seemed incredibly like, you know, oh, you know, whatever, no big deal. And, right. But then there were a couple, like, you know how it is when you're grieving? Sometimes it takes a while for it to really hit yeah. you. Yeah, we had a lot of stages. Out of nowhere at one point, there was like an utter, like, three, like a five-year breakdown. Like, oh, wow. You Like, we haven't seen this since she was really young. And it was rough. She, she was obviously really struggling with it. But all I'm trying to say is that, like, even past the point that I knew things, I still kind of felt something. Mm-hmm. Like, I still, you know, I, I, I remember in particular being, well, even when I was like like eight, I definitely mm-hmm. remember, we stayed at our, my aunt and uncle's house, I was sleeping in the room with my cousins, and I just remember, like, I could not sleep. And I had inklings at that point. But even by the time I was like 10 or 11, you still know there's stuff coming, and there's the magic and the tree and the traditions and all the stuff. And even when you know the things, there's still this part of you that like is like, oh my God, it's Christmas Eve. This is it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. God is alive and magic is afoot. Um, do, you, do you, real quick, do you have like a tree set up at your house? <sighs> Does so, she have a treat? Does she, does, if you if you can say, are comfortable saying? Does she get Christmas stuff? Was she was there like Christmas stuff around at any point this season, or was it just didn't come up? Well, as you know, uh, as everyone uh, listening knows, my daughter has between three and five houses. Yeah, and uh, at my at my <laughs> she's mom, got lago she's she got a building in New York. She does. She has a she has her apartment at Lake Cuomo. Um, <laughs> So my mom has a artificial Christmas tree that she keeps in the attic uh, this year, and generally she decorates it exclusively with peach Christmas decorations um, because she's an 82-year-old woman. And the, uh, peach decorations and then all of the decorations, like all the historic historical decorations that I made as a kid and that are in the family. So it's a little bit of a hodgepodge because the 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 you know the balls and stuff are all peach and then there's all this other jumble of meaningful decorations so she put that up and put those little electric candles in the windows um a long long time ago or early december she she did all that and so the tree's been there 
with some like dummy presence under it all month. But, but she, she didn't go the, there's no like pine boughs or anything. She, you know, she just did the poof and then it was the new normal. Right. Uh, uh, my daughter's mother actually went and got a real Christmas tree because she's fairly sentimental and, um, and put it in the, you know, moved her furniture and put it in the corner and decorated it. And they had that whole thing. Okay. Okay. So she had it around. Yeah. At my house, I found some amazing vintage Christmas lights, uh, like the big outdoor kind that I intended to put in the blue spruce the giant blue spruce in my front yard. And I kept intending to do that every day right up until Christmas. And that was another thing like um, like the Nutcracker where I was like, you've got to be kidding me. It's here already? The road to I Christmas even... is paved with good intentions. That was Mark's. Yeah. yeah. I haven't even put up the super good Christmas lights. And now I'm looking at them and I'm like, well, what if I put them up now? Yeah, we'll call it a New Year's uh, tree. Yeah, what if I just leave them up all year? People are gonna, But they're not white. They're not decorative. Are they like, old, the old school, like fat bulbs with the with the bright bulbs. colors. Yeah, fat I bulbs. I love with the bright those. Colors. Love those. Me too. I was so glad to get these and so thrilled about like, oh yeah. But I thought I had another month to go. You yeah. know. So there's no element of Christmas here, um, other than the fact that <clears throat> Daddy's house looks like you're living inside of a Christmas tree. Okay. Because they're just sort of ornaments all around. Oh, Some of them okay. I made as a kid, you know. So she was a gamer. She got up there. She talked for a while. She got on the lap. Were you, were you able to eavesdrop on the Santa discussion? Did you feel like you wanted to stay away and let her have her Santa privacy? So <clears throat> she got into it right away, and I didn't. There wasn't a way for me. It would be, like, rude to come over and interrupt this deep, you know, transaction. Mm-hmm. So afterwards, I, like, you know, we had a debriefing. And we're walking down the mall. She she seems pretty happy about it. I got some good photographs of her, and so you know I'm I'm judging it a success. That's the second time I've used the word judging mm-hmm. on this podcast. That's fine. It's totally fine. It's the holiday season. Yeah, and uh, and so I say, so what did uh, what did you and Santa talk about? She said, oh, you know, told him what I uh, what I wanted for Christmas. I was like. Well, what, you know, what were some of those things? Just kind of, you know, mm-hmm. trying to get in there, sneak, sneak a little mm-hmm. sneak, sneakeroony. And she said, you know, pretty unselfconsciously, well, I want an Elson and Anna doll. And the whole giant souffle just went bleh, because I have done so much laborious work. To keep Elsa and Anna out. Mm. To keep them out. Yeah. Elsa and Anna are like a like the the uh, like a a mustard gas. It's like the movie Interstellar, <clears throat> which I finally watched, and I have a lot of things to say about. It's like the dust, John. The dust. Nobody asks for the dust. The dust has arrived, and even when you're very careful, you know, sometimes, of course, Murph is going to forget to close your window, but sure. you're going to get dust in the house, because dust yep. is what we have now, and I think yep. that's Frozen. Frozen, I mean, Frozen is a juggernaut. It, well, that movie came out like 16 years ago. Still, yep. there's dust everywhere, and it's Elsa and Anna dust. I am so glad that you've seen Interstellar, oh and my I look God. forward uh, Oh, my God. Took me, it was my fourth try. We'll come, we can come back to that. I was going to save it for talking to Syracuse because he kind of likes it, but I might give it to you. 
Oh my God. Yeah. Well, I'm telling I was you, quivering, you, quivering with anger. Yeah. I mean, I I think that we. I think that we talked about it. You did. Uh, you, I, yeah. I, I saw way more of it than I remember having seen. I think I blocked it out. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to take you away from Elsa and Anna because I want. To, I know your struggle. I went through. Yeah. Sim- Let's get back to this. I, I yeah. have been through similar struggles. I've seen these similar struggles. You see this with lots of liberals and their struggles of various kinds. Not to say that you're a liberal, but you yeah. see this a lot. You're a liberal, yeah. and you see yeah. this a lot of the whole yeah. like it could be it's something as good hearted as like I, I. It's important that my kids like like again to, to mention John Syracuse. <clears throat> he only. Showed, I think, especially his son, movies that had a female protagonist for most mm. of his childhood, which I think oh, is a interesting. super interesting idea. Of yeah. like, look, you're going to get plenty of opportunities to see all ma- guys getting to be always be the heroes. But True. that's why you know Miyazaki movies; they're great movies. Plus, it's like usually about a girl, and it's yeah. not about her trying to find a boyfriend. And <clears throat> there's, there's things like that. Right. There's other things like I don't go out of my way to expose her to sports. Boo, bad on huh. me. She should probably mm-hmm. be into the Giants. She mm-hmm. should like Hunter Pence, whatever that mm-hmm. is. I don't know what that is. Yeah, we have a Hunter Pence doll that dances with a solar light, and it's it's horrifying. He just sits there and twitches all day. Hunter Pence. It was, it was a giveaway at the ballpark. Now here's the thing, but the thing is now you're fighting the uh, the interstellar uh, dust in- inertia. Nobody asked for the dust, but it's it's. No. I mean, like it's everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and and there's a lot, I get a lot of pushback from moms, let's be honest. I spend a lot of time with moms, Mm -hmm. as you know, because not... Because everyone in your life is a woman, for one thing. Well, and and uh, you know, and it's not just because they're uh, they've long been a general interest of mine, but also uh, because that's my social circle a lot of the time. When, well, when and I also pick. just like you know, if I'm I'm not touting myself to be John Lennon, but hmm. I have an aspect of care things that I do. Hmm. I'm at the school at, at least five times a week. Absolutely. I I know all the moms. I talk moms. we we talk a lot. Moms moms are yeah. huge in my life. I'm with you. I'm right there yeah. with you. Yeah, I got a lot of moms. Are they in excited my life? because Elsa and Anna are, are good role models? I think it's a positive movie. I know there's there's some controversy amongst people about that, but is is it that like, oh well you can't be against them. They're they're powerful girl models. You know, you can't be against them is kind of where it stops. And there's a lot of, I mean, ever since I had a kid, there's a lot of that kind of sort of, um, we've talked about this before, the, 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 the conventional understanding that certain things are inevitable and, um, and, and partly in their inevitability are also good because since they're inevitable, it maybe is a mental choice to, to, uh, to be upset about them since they're inevitable. Mm-hmm. You may as well think they're good. And I feel like, uh, Elsa and Anna, yeah, are two, uh, two starring roles of, uh, gals in a Disney movie. And, they have good songs, apparently. You know, it's like this feeling, this this feeling of like these are this is their Lady and the Tramp or something. Well, and to, just for for folks who haven't heard every single episode, there's an interesting angle to this that was like it sounds like was one of your first challenges with this, which is like if you don't have a kid and you don't know, there's a song from Frozen called "Let It Go" that let it go, let it go, let it go. that's everywhere. Can't and if I remember correctly, anymore. your your daughter has been singing that for something like three years now, and at a certain I'm point, for perhaps years, she had never heard the actual recording of the song. It had just come right. into her like an interstellar dust through the culture. That's that's correct, and a lot of the Elsa and Anna stuff came to her just, uh, just incidentally, and she had never seen the movie until this year, and she'd been <clears throat> she'd been immersed in these characters without 
really knowing anything about them because every other little girl has them. And New, I've been New York to- Times had a whole article about Star Wars, that there's this uh-huh. whole generation of kids that maybe kind of know Star Wars from ancillary media TV shows, but there is this whole generation of kids that are super into Star Wars and have never seen any of the movies. I mean, my, my kid is like that. She walks around and she's like, oh, Princess Leia, BB-8, and she's got things to say about them. Wow, wow, wow. But she's never seen anything about a Star Wars. Never War. seen a Star Wars. Not a thing. Not a one single of those wars. <laughs> so anyway, so I had been, and so we finally, I, 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 the, the initial cave was earlier this year, this year where I was like, all right, let's watch the movie. Like I, I, it's just a movie. It's not going to pollute her mind with Elsa and Anna anymore. And I, the thing is, I haven't even seen it. The, my primary objection to it is that clearly Elsa and Anna are the greys, mm. right? They're, they're, we, this is an episode of our podcast. For those of you who haven't listened to every episode, yes. I, you should be ashamed, first of all. But yeah. second of all, we had this. Go back, go back, we, start, start, at, start at the beginning and listen, listen mm-hmm. at normal speed. Normal speed or slower. Normal speed. You listen That's to right. every episode. There's, there's currently six thousand two hundred thirty-eight episodes. You back, slow you go back and down. listen to. You are not ready for House Trotter. You need yeah. to go real slow and understand the appeal of the Greys. To understand that the Greys are in places we had not anticipated, doing things right. we didn't expect. It's going to take a little bit of homework on your part. Shame on you. And one of the things, one of the things they do is they gradually, gradually inoculate us by making our children's dolls look more and more like greys every day. Mm-hmm. They have bigger and bigger eyes, weirder, shrunken, you know, sort of uh, like a Michael Jackson spindly. nose. Get a Michael Jackson well, nose. Yeah, and like spindly limbs with giant heads. I love you. And if you take if you take an Elsa or, or on a doll. They are almost exactly the dimensions of a Barbie doll. But if you thought Barbie dolls had weird physical dimensions, put an Anna doll next to one. Try putting a or, Barbie hat onto an Anna. Good luck. Can't do it. Can't uh, the, do it. Anna, the Anna doll, her head they're, is they're incompatible heads. 50% larger than a Barbie head. Easily. And her body is like even sort of more weirdly shaped than a than a Barbie. If like, she wasn't wearing those drapes, I mean, I think she pretty much looked like a, like a coat rack. She looked like a coat rack with a giant oversized head that improbably does not just just kind of fall over on her body. Yeah, but like really, like really almost like she's from a different gravity. Narrow waist, like impossibly narrow waist. In any case. I objected to the movie just on general principle because I initially the initial exposure I had to this kind of children's toy was a long time ago, probably 15 years ago, when the children's toy Bratz mm-hmm. first arrived on the scene, which was the new Barbie or was touted as the new Barbie, and they were like completely they they almost had a um, like a graffiti art quality, but they were little. They were basically like little girls meant to appeal to little girls, and the dolls were just plastered with makeup. They were wearing mini skirts, and they were, it was just like, yeah, these are these are and they're and giant heads and tiny bodies. It was like these are repulsive sex fetish items. Mm-hmm. They look like like you remember those old. Well, I know you don't on TV, but like almost like in the the Steve Madden TV commercials. Yeah, where like the giant head like, girls. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking, and so, at, I'm looking at them right now. They are improbably narrow looking, and, and it looks like their eyes got more and more almondy. Yeah, and their heads got yeah. bigger and bigger. Yeah, yeah. So I so I saw this trend a long time ago, and I was like, "Listen, we're talking, we're we're culturally arguing about Barbie's uh, bust or Barbie's dimensions as being like unrealistic, and in the meantime." 
the 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 door is cracked open and these freaking sex gnomes yeah. are pouring in like mogwai and there's nothing we you know we're not even thinking about them we're still arguing about barbie and barbie's the least of our worries mm. so so I, I objected to frozen anyway we all sat down we watched frozen and at the end of the movie and i was sitting there doing the thing that i do which is like well that's this is irrelevant to the plot. And this next scene is like incompatible with the plot. You just can't really communicate. You know, like, I mean, I know that. And first of all, he's an elk, but, or mm. a reindeer, but he, but I also, I buy his whole act. Okay. I even buy Olaf, the mm. animated snow person. Uh, but like the whole business of, the whole business of Elsa being traumatized. Uh, by her ability to, uh, spoiler alert, mm. to uh, create ice with her hands, you know, she's a little bit like the uh, X-Men character that causes a, a blood disorder. Okay. You know what I mean? Like yeah, the, le- leukemia, the, man. Yeah, or no, the girl, the girl that touches people and it, and it, and it yeah. gives them uh, Yeah, she's veins. got the, uh, that's, ro- that's Rogue. Rogue. Rogue touches them and they get veins. They get veins. Even her, they, she can't touch her boyfriend. She's got to wear gloves. She can't touch her boyfriend. can't touch her boyfriend. Because she gets yeah. varicose veins or something. Yeah. So anyway, I'm sitting there, you know, I'm not grumbling out loud. I'm mm-hmm. just in my head and I'm not doing it as a way to like c- form an argument for her. I'm just doing it because I can't help myself. I'm like, this is garbage though. That's not fair. And then at the very <laughs> end, like the whole message of the sister saves the other sister. I'm just not buying it that that's the actual plot. Right. I mean, it's mm. all, it's all still, there's all st- always still a prince in this stupid ass story. Anyway, we get to the end. And I'm very curious, and I say, darling, we've finally now watched Frozen. What did you think? And she went, meh, C minus. Whoa. She doesn't even get grades. I don't know where she got the A, B, C, D. Even I, I don't know how, where she got that as a reference point. She's like, wow, that is not, that is not, I think, I think a lot of your daughter, but that is not what I expected at all. It wasn't what I expected either. So I would, in, in like my inner self just rejoiced. I was like, yes, she sees through the shite. And then about a week. And so for about a week, we never heard a word about Elsa and Anna. And I was like, thank God we're done. Mm -hmm. We made it through the other side. We never passed through it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then she started talking about Elsa and Anna again. And I, I was like, oh, sweetie, why are we talking about them? This is like C minus. These remember C minus. This is like you don't even like this movie. And she said, yeah, but I mean, you know, I like Elsa and Anna. I like the. And I realized that she had separated Elsa and Anna from the actual film in which they star. It's just, this is totally normal. And I mean, like, not to make this gross, but you use that phrase like fetish porn. I think it's very yeah. much like that. Think about you watching something that could be really, really dumb, but it had airplanes in it. You're like, yeah, well, I guess it sucked, but I mean, it had lots of airplanes. Right. Isn't it kind of right. similar to that where you're like, yeah. you can, you can, and, and, you know, and she's had time to develop her own, like, maybe not narratives about this, but she had her, her own, like, reckons about them. And then no, she could she see them interact. She absolutely has narratives about them. They pre-existed in her mind and imagination so much that the movie sort of was irrelevant. You're absolutely right. It was just like, now they're animated for a while. And she's like, man, that's... And basically what she was saying was, that movie's not as good as the stories that I come up with about Elsa and Anna. Like, Elsa and Anna were uh, characters in her life, people she knew. And so 
she comes off of this Santa thing and she's like, I just asked him for an Elsa and Anna doll. And I, and my shoulders slumped because what she was basically saying was, you're never going to, I'm never going to give this up until I get an Elsa and Anna doll and I will play with them happily. Father. Mm. So I'm asking Santa for it now and you are cut out of this deal. Oh dear. I see. I see. And so I was like, oh, and then for the rest of Christmas, I kept saying, let's go over your list again. Uh, what did you do? <laughs> you're, like, she, you're like Columbo. Sometimes yeah. I get real confused. Can we just, let's just go over this one more time. Let's just go over it. So you definitely every, want anything except one of these fucking dolls. Yeah. And she said over and over, like, well, I told Santa that I wanted Elsa and Anna doll. So I feel like that ship has sailed. And I'm like, oh, God. So then I'm shopping and I'm like, you know what? I can't do, I cannot fight this. I'm going to buy an Elsa and Anna doll. And I went and I bought a nice Elsa and Anna doll, not one of the crappy ones, mm-hmm. of which there are one billion. But like, you want to really uh, look at them. I almost bought a Captain America uh, ornament. And then I looked at the painting on it. And I was like, this is. Yeah, this is this is bad. You got yeah. you got to be careful because if you pick up everything that matches your uh, exciting brand feeling, you just it's, mm. you're just gonna have lots of crap. Yeah, yeah. One and good one, I, one good one. Now you feel like you get this one good one, and now that's that's gonna clear the pipes. I've been to little girls' homes uh, on other errands, uh, generally interacting with moms, mm-hmm. where you walk in and you look at the room, and there are mm, seven hundred Elsa and Annas in various forms. Yeah. There are there, the dolls of every kind, stuffy dolls, Barbie styles, the tall, like ones that are three feet tall. I mean, I don't even know where you find these things. So I said, all right, if you're going to have an Elsa on, it's going to be the only frozen uh, oriented stuff that we have, but it, they're going to be nice little dolls. And so I, and I wrote from Santa on the package. Well, we're at the, we're uh, around the tree. She's opening the presents and uh, she has, you know, some some nice presents, some other dolls. The Hodgmans actually sent her an American Girl doll. Oh, that's that ha- that's huge. That was, Which one did you get? Did you get Kit? Well, uh, no, we got like the the hippie one. She basically looks uh, like we Hillary Re- Clinton. We got Kit and Rebecca. I don't know who those are. Yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll but, find uh, out. This one looks like uh, Hillary Clinton in nineteen seventy. Just so you know, that's a pretty nice present. It's that's, a that's really a nice super present. nice present. Well, it was an American Girl doll that they had that you know that their daughter had loved and cherished. But I remember their daughter had something on the order of nine to fourteen American Girl dolls. Wow! So this was Thanks, and Apple. she had, she had over the time had uh, disseminated these American Girl dolls to younger girls. She's a teen now, and this was the last. She had she had her main one that she would never get rid of and she'll take to adulthood. But this was the last of the secondary American Girl dolls that uh, that that lived at their in their house in Massachusetts and they were like we're going to get that doll. We're going to bring it down from Massachusetts and we're going to send it to to your daughter. And she arrived and I was like this doll is truly beautiful. I mean, she's wearing some sort of 70s pantsuit like she's wonderful. Um and so so you know, my kid is opening these presents. She's getting wonderful things. She's she's expressing true gratitude and pleasure. She's she opens a package and takes 15 minutes to play with that toy. Oh, that's a really really good sign. Right before opening the next present, she's not. That's she's not that's when I am pr- I am proudest when like there's some there's a good ninety minutes of playing before going to the next thing. That's a good feeling. Isn't that good? Yeah. And then she gets to this Elsa and Anna, and she opens it up, 
and she's so thrilled because this is the culmination of three and a half years of her five and a half years of just like hounding me for these dolls. Mm. And I had gone to everyone else in the family and I had say, Ixnay on the, uh, the American girls. Yeah. And so everybody was on board. Ozen Frey. Ozen Frey. Here they arrive and she, she beams at them for a second, just beams at them. And then she slowly turns her head to look at me and gives me the ultimate fuck you. <gasps> oh, you just got pwned by the man with the beard. I got pwned by Santa. Pwned by Santa. And she was like, hmm. boom. How you, like, boom. How, how you like them apples? How you like them apples? I asked Santa for this and Santa brought it. She and did. A, you, she, she ran a Santa hack on you. She, yeah, and you are outside the game, Dad. And I was just on the couch, just like getting hit with this, like plasma pulse of <laughs> boom, like up your nose, Dad. <laughs> well, how you like me now? It was truly a how you like me now look, and I was like, wow. Santa really did a number on Daddy, didn't he? And she was like, mm-hmm. And so I've been continuing to play this like, well, Ugh. I guess Santa, you know, against Daddy's wishes, brought this Elsa and Anna into my home. And she and she's just so gratified, just trots around. And, uh, and she took a necklace that she was wearing around her neck and built it into an Anna sling, where she walks around with the Anna around her neck, like it's a like it's a Mister T chain. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. like uh, she just hangs it around her neck now. Oh my! And, God. So she wears the doll. She wears it, kind of like uh, kind of like Twiggy in Buck Rogers uh, with oh, the yeah, Doctor Doctor Theophilus. Uh, yeah, beady 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 and uh, and so what can I do and. Anyway, all by way of saying she believes in Santa, mm-hmm. and she primarily, I think, believes in Santa as a daddy thwart, uh, daddy thwarter. <laughs> daddy. So it's really it's at least one and a half gifts. It's maybe two or three gifts in one because she got the thing she wanted. Yeah. Despite it all, and boy, and you know, let daddy let this serve as a lesson to you. Maybe That's right. maybe you're not the smart guy you thought you were. No, she you stuck it to the man. Yeah, she stuck it to the man hardcore. Mm. And uh, so now I've, you know, and and the fact that they are more or less the dimensions of Barbies and you can get Barbie stuff and apply it to them because she also doesn't have any Barbies, which I also get in trouble. Ugh, Barbies, with Barbies got dive bombed into our life by relatives. Oh, and so the thing is, I mean, she's had exposure to Barbies, but I, we did not have a super duper schmooper strong POV on this. But, sure. but there was there was mutual assent that of like all the kinds of kid shit that's going to be in her life, Barbie was not going to be near the top of the list. Sure, that's your palm, right? But but I have to tell you, like certain uh, beloved uh, family members thought uh-huh. otherwise. And the thing uh-huh. is, when you dive bomb in with not just Barbie, but some Barbie outfits plus. Like a uh, like a house, they're delivering like a whole franchise, and now now you're yep. a Barbie person, yep. and there's tiny yep. shoes everywhere. And so I've avoided that. Also, uh, good for you, man. Except two things: one, 
I have, you know, I'm I'm just generating pure consternation from 99% of the other like liberal moms, liberal progressive educated moms like me mm-hmm. are just like you can't fight city hall dangling. Yeah. And also watching her interact with Elsa and Anna, I realize she's ready to progress from baby dolls where the primary narrative is okay, baby, like, here's your bottle, to these are dolls where she can interact complicated narratives with them. They are they are sentient uh, dolls. You know, they represent characters that now she can inhabit with adventure mm-hmm. rather than just, I'm caring for you. Now she can have these dolls. Oh, who, so they become closer to what uh, we've traditionally, for boys, called action figures. Like these are yeah, th- these they, are these are these are uh, these are characters with uh, with things to do, and mm-hmm. uh, I can enact that. Yeah, they have agency, and she can now talk to them, and they can reply. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> whereas, you know, the babies. Because I was also getting sick of the baby dolls. Let's be honest. Because it's just it's it's just this cycle of babies hungry, babies tired, a bit you know, baby kiss baby. And I'm like kiss. She's like kiss baby again. I'm like kiss. She's like puts the baby right in my face. Baby wants to play, and I'm like I, daddy is daddy's reading a book, and she's mm-hmm. like you know like. So now I feel like what the babies are going to go. The babies are going to go into a box eventually. They'll come and, back out at some point. Yeah. No, I think, the, I, the, uh, the, at least in my experience, like, my daughter has so much stuff, and she doesn't see it for a while. And then she, when she sees it, it's like Junior Christmas. Because she's mm-hmm. like, like she did, we recently rediscovered her Thomas Train sets, oh. um, which had been in a box. And it was totally fun to put those together again. I mean, that sounds silly, because, like, she's nine, but I'm 50, and I loved it. It's fun yeah. to make a train go around a track. It is. I, I... Can, I still have a giant HO train set in boxes upstairs that I just keep thinking I'm going to set up in the barn. But the problem with HO trains is that the trains themselves are 25% of what is really an old man playset of paper mache. H, I'm just looking, you know, you've told me this before, but remind me, HOs are the pretty big ones, right? No, those are Lionels or like, you know, like um, I gotta look up train scales again. It's been too long. Ho, like if you had, let's say, you know those when you go to the fair, or you go, you're walking downtown and and uh, you go to a hot dog stand and they're like hot dogs and then like the big hot dog and then like the the sausage sized hot dog where mm-hmm. it's just like a big fat thing yeah. and they have somehow they have extra sized buns that. The whole thing is like almost grotesquely oversized. Uh, one of those in the bun is about the size of a HO train. Uh, I see. Okay, car. I found an image that compares Z and HO and G. Yeah, HO looks like a good size. HO is the perfect size. It's the I would say it's the most popular train mm-hmm. size. I always I always wondered what it would have been like if I had started with an N scale. Um, because Z scale is too small for but N scale makes a lot of sense because it you does. can in the sense that you can do more. I mean, assuming the availability of stuff for it, you can accomplish more in a smaller amount of space without becoming that guy that has a whole train set in his basement. It's exactly right. If you you could put an entire N scale on your dining room table mm-hmm. and make a, a fairly complete world, 
Oh, like a Z scale? If you took up your dining room table with a Z scale, you could basically do all of Switzerland. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're um, really cute. That's close could, yeah. to the size of the Thomas trains. What? What is Z? Yeah. They're that small? Yeah, I mean, they fit mostly. Like, if you put uh, James or Percy in the palm of your hand, he'd mostly disappear. I'd say they're... You can, yeah, they're, they're good. You can get the little engines in them. And then one thing that's kind of nice uh, is that the track on which those run has become somewhat standardized. So mm-hmm. basically, there's all kinds of different train things that fit that size of track. It doesn't have to be like Thomas the Train branded. And you can run oh. different kinds of brands of, uh, you know, licensed train things on the same track. I see. I see. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, mostly that's, Thomas well, the Train that's is... That's an advertisement. Thomas the Train ones are mostly... I think for little kids, you get the little wooden ones that don't have an engine. We have a few that have, have an engine. And those are, you know, obviously, to me, a lot more fun. Sure. I mean, have a battery-powered way to propel itself around the track rather than going choo-choo-choo with your hand. Oh, so these are not controlled from a central controller, but they each have a battery within them? Yeah, you put one AA into, you get oh. yourself a Thomas, you get yourself a Spencer, you get a Lady Train was always our, our big winner. You can get a yeah. James and a Percy, and uh, and yeah, and then you run them around, and uh, they have all kinds of things. They can go down a little mine shaft, they can go up a hill. Yeah. Uh, if you get enough, you got what you really want to get is a lot of those straight ones that are like 9 or 10 inches long. You get a ton yeah. of those, and then you can make like a double... Like, you could make, like, a tunnel and a track that runs on top of it. You get a switcher, and you're good to go. You're not the only one that wants a straight one that's nine inches long. Am I right? Listen. Mm, boy, Thank oh, boy. You. Oh, that was such a sad bell. No, no, it's Christmas. I'm trying to keep it, uh, you know. Thanks. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. The, so, I mean, uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, I, the thing about N-scale uh, model railroads is uh, the ones that are made in Germany, the ones that are um, that are designed for old men, mm-hmm. like you can pay $200 for a locomotive. Jeez Louise. You know, it's not a, it's not a, a cheap hobby, and you control the trains from an electric controller. Right. It's like, I had friends. This was still a thing when I was a kid. I, my friend, my friend that had a copy of the Blues Brothers album. When we listened to the Blues Brothers album in his basement, he also had a train set down there. So I always associate the Blues Brothers with the uh, model train. I had every Blues Brothers on vinyl. Is that right? Yeah, I, I'm. I'm not proud of it now. Oh, that was uh, fun stuff. Well, but you know, like the Blues Brothers made a couple, a handful of of vinyl records. You got the John Goodman one? No, no, no come on. Okay, I'm talking about, you know, the. It's all uh, with an asterisk. Blues Brothers fandom uh, ends in the early '80s. You know, like it doesn't end with Belushi's death because the Blues Brothers um, mushroom cloud continued to bloom. Mm. But hmm. 83, 84 was the last time that you could legitimately buy a new Blues Brothers branded product. Okay. But, you know, they made several records and those records were. All I know is the Rubber Biscuit one. That's the only one I know. That they were is. meant to be taken seriously as blues albums yeah. or like blues and soul records. So they're embarrassing just because. Neither Aykroyd nor Belushi can actually sing, and they, you know, they kind of grunt and groan and and uh, caterwaul over these blues tracks. But they are they are serious about it. Yeah, but their performances and, were so fun, and the band obviously the fun. band. What are you gonna say about the band? But you're looking at you're you're listening to it on an album, yeah. And so you don't get the you don't get all the action. You don't get a lot of duck done. But yeah, they're they're playing over uh, Booker T and the MGs with like every other great player, including Paul Schaefer in the in America. Mm-hmm. 
Like the band sounds incredible. Yeah, Macatar Murphy. <laughs> Macatar Murphy. You know, four fried chickens and a Coke. You got a thing. <laughs> I love that movie so much. I love it so much. Without your Macatar Murphy. Without you want, your dry white toast. You want that I should wipe the dead bugs off the windshield? <laughs> this All is right. glue. Strong stuff. I hate you know, Illinois Nazis. <laughs> no, we're not going there. We're not doing any more Blues Brothers. Okay, and, Caddyshack. And I swear to you, even though I watched, I, even though for the last two days I have been watching Godfather oh. in increments because my Godfather watching partner keeps falling asleep. Oh, oh are we and, back to this? And when I say, oh. when, I, when, I, when I give my Godfather watching partner an elbow... And I say, are you serious right now? She says, no, I love it. It's incredible. It's just that something. I'm too yeah. hot. I had I ate too much popcorn. Something. Yeah. So we've, we're up to... That's, that's hard for me to... This, okay, I'm officially old. That is hard for me to understand. It's very hard. I don't but, know how you... Mm. Ma- and now, I, again, I sound like John Syracuse. I don't know how you make it through without watching it at a sitting and being riveted at every single point. And then at the end going, wow... I can't believe that was whatever two and a half yeah. hours. So she's she's she is fairly riveted. It's the best. It's the best movie. But then she just you know she just all of a sudden <sighs> she just gets sleepy. She had too much popcorn. I'm like, what did what happened? What, what what's the last thing you remember? And she was like, uh, they were talking about you know like Luca Brasi was getting strangled or whatever. I know spoiler alerts, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. So so far we have made it up to Apollonia <laughs> is is destroyed in a bomb. And how many sittings? Like three, four sittings. We've had we've three sittings now. Okay, uh, but I find you know I was finally able to uh, to get myself over the hump of buying this thing for four dollars, and um, so we're enjoying it very much. But I have really been struggling, even in the you know the half hour that we've been talking to one another, and not just just talking to you strictly in Godfather quotes. Mm. Not doing it, and I'm not doing it to her because I don't want to. I don't want to spook her. Yeah, no, I know, I know. Uh, well, I, so, I, I feel anyway, I feel your pain. At. I feel your pain. Yeah. And so, I mean, what can a person do, right? I mean, it's it's better than uh, when I showed her ET and she just checked out and was like, "This isn't any fun to watch this." And I was like, uh, yeah. okay, "All right, I can I can handle it." And then she showed me Crazy Stupid Love, and was like, "Isn't this a great movie?" Crazy like, stupid. Nineties kids will remember. Oh, you got to be a nineties kid. You got to be a nineties stupid to love. Who's love. in this? Not a nineties movie. Is a Steve Carell movie? Yeah, yeah. With Ryan Gosling. Oh, uh, we and got Gosling. Apparently, Gosling. Look at Emma Stone, Kevin Bacon, Marissa Tomei. Okay. So Emma, or I'm sorry, Emma Stone is, I think, you know, a charming ingenue. Mm-hmm. But uh, what I didn't realize, because Ryan Gosling was a character that I only knew from the cover of magazines at the grocery store. Well, did you ever I see the think, Notebook? I don't know what okay. was the Notebook. Well, I mean, you'd know if you saw it. But you know, he's he's done some. He's been very funny in movies too. He's done a couple movies. Did you ever see Drive? Uh, you bro. need to see Drive, my friend. It's a it's a it's a, like a gangster movie. I mean, Drive, without spoiling it, Drive is basically a guy who's a getaway driver, a for-hire getaway oh. driver. All right, don't say another word. The aesthetic of the movie is... I don't want to... Yeah, anyway, see it. Zoop. Just going to say, see it. I found, mm-hmm. surprisingly, even though Ryan Gosling is basically playing a uh, like a uh, men's rights activist who negs 
girls All right. uh, in the film. He's doing it. It's pre. Uh, it's pre Gamergate. This movie was made pre Gamergate, so we're meant to find this character charming, or at least like oh, he's we're a, meant to, he's a, he's a rake, John. He's a rake. That's right. We're meant to envy his uh, his suavity with the ladies. Mm. Uh, that's a big part of the plot. But what what I was surprised at was that I found because I thought Ryan Gosling was going to be one of these actors of his generation, where it was just like yawn, uh, because they're they're they all really like play underplay and he they're seems super. Like he, like, he seems like one of those actors where like I turn on my wife and go, "Was this person ever on Dawson's Creek? I've never yeah. seen Dawson's Creek. I don't know what it is." But yeah, was I was he a assumes, Mouseketeer? Exactly. It's somebody that was on a TV show I never saw on a channel I didn't get that was for people that weren't me. Yeah, and I thought that too. But watching this, I was like, I find Ryan Gosling fairly charming, and I understand why girls uh, like him. And if you look at him closely, you realize he has hips. You know, he's not like a he's not like one of these impossible. Bu- I mean, he's uh, super buff and cut or whatever. Uh, but he also, you know, he has a, he has shapely male hips. He's not um, he's not Brad Pitt, right? Where you look at Brad Pitt and you're like, I could work. 18 hours a day for 10 years. I would never have Brad Pitt's physique because I'm just not I'm just not born that way. Right, right. But Ryan Gosling, you're like, oh, right. He's a you know, he's a shapely young man. And my uh, Godfather watching partner says that Ryan Gosling is what she imagines River Phoenix would have looked like if he'd grown up. And I was like, oh, I'm living in a world where River Phoenix is like. Oh, he's like James Dean was for us. Yeah, he's the James Dean. James James Jacket. Of the of the nineties, yeah. kids who will who uh, it's only they who will get this. Yes. So uh, oh, all by uh, all uh, leading up to the fact that I saw La La Land, which also has oh, Ryan and it's Gosling. got the it's and, got the Emma Stone. Stone. I've and, heard that's good. And they have a little, you know, they 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 have a rapport that was established uh, in this earlier film, and so they are kind of the. Um, you know, the Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire of their day, even though they can neither sing nor dance. Hmm. But, you know, like... That's quite a, quite a twist. <laughs> I re- Right. I realized as I was watching La La Land, oh, this is an attempt, a, a fairly sly attempt by these filmmakers to uh, to take advantage of this, this pre-existing understanding that these two are a very, very good on-screen couple. Oh, it's like a little intertextual thing, like some of the appearances of like Robert De Niro in a movie, where there's, or, or, or even Marlon Brando in The Freshman, where there's a mm-hmm. nod to other things that they've done, kind of right. encompassed in what they're doing now. Right, and so okay. now we're looking at a future where... I think you really you know, do need to be a 90s kid to understand that, but, but now that you've explained it, I get it. Yeah, it's like a Gosling Stone picture. Oh, Gosling Stone. And and we're going to see them reoccur, and it's not that they're playing the same people every time. They're just taking advantage of the fact that we love to see Gosling and Stone do their their bits. Maybe a little bit like uh, Woody Allen and Diane Keaton or something. Yeah, exactly. Even though, oh, one of the great, one of the great signs uh, that my uh, Godfather-watching friend gets it is that she said... Who's that? Who's that lady? And uh-huh. I was like, I said, you mean Diane Keaton? Okay. And she was like, oh, that's Diane Keaton. And I mm-hmm. said, yeah, this is early, early Diane. This Keaton. is early Diane. Yeah. And she said, I don't like her. Hmm. And I, oh boy, I rang, I rang the uh, the tugboat bell because you're not a fan. 
Ah, I find Diane Keaton to be very, you know, and her Woody Allen period mm-hmm. is is what it is. It's an mm-hmm. amazing record of our era, of our time. Um, you didn't like her in The Godfather? The thing is that she is... It was an is, abortion, Michael! Yeah, she's a, she is playing on a fairly unlikable character, <laughs> and she's bringing to the... I, I think Kay is unlikable. Uh, because Kay is presented in the film as the agent, the primary agent of uh, encouraging Michael to leave the family business, even though Michael wants to, and even though he promises her he will. So it's you know Michael sets the stage, but imagine if Kay had over time, just as Michael did, realized that this was again inevitable. And oh, she becomes em- more like Karen in Goodfellas. Yeah, embraces the role. She's like a, she's of, a fellow traveler, right. right? She's like, you know what? This is who we are. Yeah. And even though I'm a, even though I'm a shiksa, I'm gonna become a Sicilian uh, mafia wife. Instead, she's like this sort of harpy. Over time, she becomes she becomes a harpy. <laughs> You're gonna get email. <laughs> I'm gonna get a lot of email. But I did not find Kay to be a powerful, uh, you know, like female role. I found her to be, you know, kind of a nag. And ultimately, like she she's she's one of the things that presented this conundrum to Michael. Where what's he gonna do? He can't he can't but do what he's doing. And so he just so, feel like he just has to be dishonest with her in order to keep well, and, doing what he's yeah, doing. Yeah, and, and ultimately he loses his family yeah. over it because he's powerless because he, you know, because as he says to his father on his hospital bed, I'm with you now. I'm with you. And mm-hmm. that, you he know, didn't want that. You know, Vito, Vito, that was the one thing Vito wanted. He thought, wanted Mike. thought he'd become a senator, right? Yeah. That's right. He thought he'd become a senator. Mm. When he found out that Michael killed Salazzo, oh my a, God. a tear runs down his cheek. He mm. doesn't even want to talk to Tom. He wants to tell me my, my my wife is my wife. I hear my wife downstairs crying. Yeah, but you needed a drink first. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm. I I I, uh, I I I approved of her assessment of Diane Keaton because I have I my feeling about it is that the that Diane Keaton has been in the last ten years playing roles of like quirky quirky mom of she's in a tough position people. though it's hard to get a good role when you're a lady of a certain age yeah, it's they yeah. they do not it's you yeah it's hard this whole business of 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 actors of any age or stripe who have who've had you know million like a like two dozen million dollar films I feel like you should all be in retirement. De Niro should have stopped making movies in 89. All right. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, maybe. it's, you know, like world's tiniest violin. But I, and I understand, I understand the, the argument that it's hard for uh, older women to get, you know, starring roles in films. But Diane Keaton is just, I just find her unlikable. You like, if a, she you like Helen Mirren? I love a Hel- Helen Mirren. Mm-hmm. You know, I realized not- I was watching, um, what was I watching last night? I was watching Richard III on uh, PPS and <clears throat> was kind of Googling around. Do you remember the movie, uh, The Cook, The Thief, His Wife and Her Lover, the Peter Greenaway I remember, movie? I remember the book. Hmm. It's a, It was very famous at the time for being very, very lush, like, like, like many Peter Greenaway movies. It's very beautiful and lush, but like super duper violent and very 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 
gross. And I'm only mm-hmm. now catching up on how many people were in that movie that I didn't realize were in that mm-hmm. movie. I think mm-hmm. I missed out on this whole, like, I didn't know Helen Mirren was in that. And, like, I mean, take this as, you know, in the way I mean it, like, she was hot. She was probably 40, but she's, like, well, still, like, like hot Helen Mirren. This let me ask you this. Yeah. Let me riddle you this. Hmm. Have you ever Googled Helen Mirren nudes? Um, you and I went through this with uh, Judy Dench, Helen Mirren, and somebody else one time. And I did look yeah. for a lot of English ladies in the nude. Yeah. Yeah. And also it's Michael Gambon. Impressive. Michael Gambon, the second Dumbledore. And uh, the guy from any other movies, Michael Gambon. I didn't realize he was the thief in it, that he was the bad guy. Oh, I see. Well, now you're now you're spoiler alerting because I've never seen the cook, the thief, the wife, and the lover. Yeah, you can skip it. You can skip it. It's pretty gross. Is that right? Which the third was good though. That's got Sherlock Holmes in it. It's got uh, yeah. it's got the Benedict Cumberbatch with a hump in it. It was pretty good. Yeah, I always try and watch the Shakespeare movies. There's a whole big uh, run right now. What's called the Hollow Crown, and they're doing. They do like, what's the one before Henry the f- fifth? They it's like a Richard the second, Richard the second through Richard the third. Mm-hmm. And they're all, yeah. So I haven't watched all of them. It's too much Shakespeare. You lose your mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know. But, but Cumber, uh, Cumber, Cumberbatch with a hump. La, oh, yeah. La, la. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know. He has uh, those alien eyes and those womanly thighs and the hump upon his back. La, la, la. Uh, anyway. Now is the winter of our discontent. <laughs> That's how it starts. And he's got yeah. a hump. He's shirtless with a hump playing chess with himself. And it's all Cumberbatch. Yeah. I mean, this is this was uh, what embarrassed Richard Dreyfuss so badly that he wanted to give up acting. Cause he, oh, because he, he had to do Richard? Well, or, sure. Um, this Richard is, does Richard. This is, this, is the, this is one of the major themes of the, of the Goodbye Girl. Hmm. Which is uh, one of the classic films. Still of all never time. seen it. Still never seen it. You have never seen. Goodbye, and I'm a Marsha Mason fan, so that's a weird thing. Never seen Goodbye Girl. I know. It's, it, and the thing is, it gets uh, for someone of my age. It, uh, at, for a time, it was name checked so often, including on things like Seinfeld, that it's like it's crazy that I didn't know it. Well, I, I'm so gonna miss my window. Goodbye Girl. I don't think so because okay. it's all right. Uh, I'm queue it up. Because it's girl. like it's like Neil Simon movies, uh, where. I don't know how you could watch um, Brighton Beach Memoirs at any age at any time and not be charmed. Oh, yeah. Those are good. By, by Brighton Beach Memoirs. And this is Goodbye Girl feels like you're watching a Broadway play from the 70s. Like almost because it all it mostly takes place in an apartment. It feels a little <clears throat> bit like like uh, The Odd Couple. Right, right. I get what you mean. It's, it's not yeah. stagey, but that it, it feels like a play. It feels like a play, mm-hmm. and 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 in that sense, like it's a good play. And Richard Dreyfus, it's young Richard Dreyfus. It's Richard Dreyfus, like right <clears throat> after Jaws. And looks like it's right you know, around Close Encounters, seventy-seven. Yeah, it's uh, it's Richard Dreyfus from his <clears throat> turkey age, you know. <laughs> yeah, where you're just like you just chew up the scenery, you Richard Dreyfus. Go eat, eat it, eat it, and it has a it has a charming, uh, like. Nine-year-old girl who's uh, who's wise before her years. I remember her. Who, mm-hmm. who reminds me of your daughter? Honestly, yeah. Qu- Quinn Cummings. She was a yeah. child actress. I remember her. Child actress. Hmm. She was so a blossom I, in the nineties. Look at that. She's like uh, she is the blossom of the seventies. Is that what you're saying? Oh, she's go look at that. She's been on Beretta, Starsky and Hutch, Six Million Dollar Man. Yeah, all the shows, all the great shows. All Family. Family. Was that the one with Christy McNichol? Yeah. Oh man, I felt hard for her. Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm looking right now. 
right right here in front of me on my uh, on my desk, which is also right now at least my dining room table. Mm-hmm. I have a copy of Dynamite magazine with, that's uh, that's called the Meet Christy McNichol issue of Dynamite magazine. I can still see the cover. And uh, yeah, right. It's a wonderful somewhere cover. in my house. I still have a copy. I, I had a subscription. I still have a copy in the house somewhere of the Bee Gees uh, versus the Beatles. Uh, who's better? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They had a big showdown. I think it's still it's still an open question. I remember uh, the final paragraph. Even in the end, even the I remember the sentence begins in the end. Even the chart topping Bee Gees, something something something, not as good as the Beatles. Right. They gave it to him, but it was a it was a squeaker, like right to the last. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. made it right through. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, you remember when Squeeze was the new Beatles? <laughs> <laughs> Squeeze uh, it, are gonna make Badfinger look like right. Big Star, that's or something. Right. Uh, it's got a picture of Christy McNichol riding a skateboard, and then uh, further on, uh, there's an article about the Dynamite Duo. Do you know who the Dynamite Duo are? Is that those two girls from that Saturday morning show? Nope. Nope. Oh, um, oh the Dynamite Duo is in the last pages of the cartoon, uh, like a little uh, comic book thing in Dynamite, right? It is a comic book, Dynamite but, Duo. but I feel like I feel like uh, Dynamite Duo are described as uh, they are, uh, what are they, uh, order, ordinary teenagers, a strange series of events changed their lives forever, attending a carnival, the twins won a weird-looking set of matching rings. They're um, twins. They're oh, it's like, like, kind of like the Wonder Twins. Uh, and uh, when they take uh, put the rings on, <clears throat> they become uh, Dawnstar and Night Glider. Hmm. Hmm. So it's a little bit like Wonder Twin Powers Activate, right? Yeah, but shape of an ice monkey. Right. Dawnstar yeah. and Night Glider, better, better known as the Dynamite Duo. And they're superheroes, which so is, that's why I thought you would know them. Yeah. Um, so, since, uh, so here's Dynamite, right? This is what, whatever it is, 77. Uh, since many readers missed the exciting origin of the duo and some of their early exploits, we decided to review what's happened so far. Uh, here are the most frequently asked questions about our favorite superheroes. And then an entire page of uh, Dynamite Duo facts. Oh, wow. And it's called the fact sheet. Um, and then, very strangely, the next... <laughs> this, this describes better than anything else could our childhood in the 70s. Because the next page is a double... No, a triple page article on Lon Chaney. Oh, it was... God, our age was weird. You're Very right. Weird. You're absolutely right. And and also, I think really typified by things like variety shows, mm-hmm. where, like, not just Ed Sullivan, but, like, Carol Burnett, where, like, you might... You could see something, like, impossibly modern, super weird, or you might see, like, Milton Berle. Yeah. This is <clears throat> this is a big article on, on The Hunchback of Notre Dame. And, like, all these black and white photos wow. of Lon Chaney in between... A, a description of the dynamite duo and Christy McNichol riding a skateboard. And you're just like, February yeah, I guess, 1978, meet uh, Christy McNichol. I guess this is, and then there's a big, big article on the Muppets. Where yep. do Muppets come from? Hmm. One look at the furry, freaky, fabulous creatures, and you might guess the moon. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, how are you supposed to, I mean, I, you could. You could convince me that I would turn the page and see almost anything, right? Like Marilyn Voss Savant, or <laughs> or like uh, like Little Annie Fanny, or I mean I have no idea what's in this magazine. You turn the page; uh, it's talking about now a uh, cool like this. This was the era of the original like cool T-shirt, iron-on T-shirts. Yeah, right. Article about those. 
Uh, well, they, they would also. They, you might see something about cooking, like how to cook something. Mm-hmm. You might see some like prototypical kind of life hacks things. I'm mm-hmm. also conflating it a little bit in my head with National Geographic World, which I also had a subscription to. And uh, boy, I love that thing. Like the close-ups of like you know patterns up close to trying to identify what it was. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. You know, my I've I've told you before. My mom got me a subscription to Time Magazine because she felt like that was what I needed. You know, uh, Lonely Sandwich posted a thing on Instagram the other day where he was like, I took my kid to see something. You always remember your first movie. It was his kid's first movie in the theater. You always remember your first movie. And uh, you do always remember your first movie. My first movie was Dr. Zhivago that my mom <laughs> took me to see at a 99-cent so movie theater. That's so weird. Uh, back when, you know, like the biggest theater in town, a theater that seats 1,200 people, was running old movies for 99 cents. And it was and it was completely decrepit, dusty. The seats were all, all had, you know, the stuffing was coming out of the seats. And you could buy this ticket and a popcorn and walk into this cavernous theater that had 11 people in it to see a matinee of Dr. Zhivago, a three-hour film about the Russian Revolution, a three-hour romantic rendition of the Russian Revolution. Mm-hmm. And, That's an epic. you know, this was my first movie as a kid. And my mom was like, you're going to love it. It's one of the great films. And, you know, I'm just sitting in the theater like the entire experience was overwhelming. Being in the theater was overwhelming. Uh like the type of theater, as you walk down the aisle, you can hear. And this was back when everybody wore leather-soled shoes too. So you're, people are walking down the aisle like clop, 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 like like you're walking through the CIA headquarters. <laughs> yeah. And, but you're in this like I mean, it was just the theater was as much a character of the film. And then I'm watching this completely unintelligible movie to me. Uh, and yeah, your blowing sandwich is right. Stuck in my head. That's it a weird wasn't one. Star, wasn't Star Wars? It wasn't Jaws. It was, and then she took me to see Anti Mame, which scarred me for life. Oh, really? Anti Mame is that Ethel Merman? Uh, no, no. It's uh, wait. I know this. Is it? Uh, let me get it. Uh, Joan. Yes. Uh, is it uh, Jane, Jane Russell? Maybe no. Well, who was an Anti Mame? I'm confused because because there's Mame, and then there's the other one that's like Mame. Uh, you got the one with Barbara Streisand. You got the one with Barbara Streisand. It's like, let me get this right. Who's in this? Rosalind Russell. Oh, Rosalind Russell. Rosalind Russell. And what am I confusing it with? What's the other one? Uh, the other one is the one about about Joan Crawford being a terrible mom. Could be. I remember we had the musical. We had an eight track of the musical name. Yes, Also had we need a little Christmas. Right, this very minute. That was Lucille Ball's 1974 version. Uh, so, oh, you're right. The musical with Lucille Ball. Right, but the original was a Technicolor comedy mm. from 1958. Oh, of course. I see my confusion now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Rosalind Russell. But um, uh, what was what was the one I was just talking about? The uh, the mom, the actress that was a terrible mom. Oh, that would be, uh, I believe, 1981's probably uh, Mommy Dearest. Oh, Mommy Dearest. That based, was it. Based on the book by her daughter, Christine. Yeah. So my mom took me to see Mommy what? Dearest. That's the one that scarred me for life. Oh, my mommy goodness. Mommy Dearest scarred me for life. Makes her eat the raw not meat. A very, not a very good mommy. Not a good mommy at all. No, no. It's, it's, it's complicated. It's hard to be a parent. Yeah. John, are you? how are you going to survive the, or how are you going to, you'll survive. How will you move forward with the Anna and Elsa, Elsa situation? 
Well, I mean, so are, you, I, are you still are you hyper vigilant for for more incursions into this? Are you are you okay with your role as bad Santa? How how are you going to proceed? Well, so I did are not, you going to let Santa win this one? Yeah, Santa gets this one. All right, one for Santa. Santa gets this one. Santa 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 takes it, and I'm going to I'm going to continue to sulk a little bit. Uh, in order to really play up the fact that uh, Santa and, by extension, my daughter, uh, like, made it happen at Daddy's expense. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like that is uh, – she definitely feels empowered by it. And I have, to, I, have to, I have to lose this one. I have to lose gracefully. That's a lesson in losing gracefully. Yeah. Uh, but I can sulk a little bit because it feels like I, you know, like I lost one fair and square. I love it when and, my daughter gets the better of me. It makes me really yeah. happy. Yeah. But, you know, oh, oh, I wanted, like most of us do initially, to raise my daughter in a gender-neutral environment. And I went to great lengths to create a positive gender neutrality in our home. Not as an experiment, but just as a way of, of, uh, of setting up a kind of freedom. It also makes uh, things more interesting. Yeah, and, I mean, and honestly, just, it's it's you know, if you just feed everybody from the same big spoon that we were fed with, it's not as interesting. Yeah, you just let her let her pick, and from the very earliest moment, if you put a uh, if you put a pink car and a blue car, she would pick up the pink car. I think our friend Dan went through something very similar to this. Yeah, and she would pick up the pink car, turn it over on its back, and cradle it, and say, <laughs> "Who's a good baby?" Kiss. Kiss. Right? Kiss the baby. And I'm like, that is, honey, that is a 1971 Camaro that I that I went to great lengths to find you. Yeah. And she's like, kiss the baby. <laughs> so I stopped fighting that a long time ago. Mm. And now I feel like I'm just in it to win it. You yeah. know? Well, yeah. what, she, what she wants, I'm not going to... I'm not going to be in there like, don't you want to play with this truck? I'm just going to say, like, you, you, you want the Barbies, you want the Anna and Elsa, like, here we go. There's a funny thread through several of the things we're talking about. I don't know why I'm thinking of this, but when we talked earlier about, like, being a kid, and I, I consider you a 70s kid, too, but growing up in the 70s, and, you know, even though we didn't have things like prayer in school, uh, there was a grace note to almost everything we did in winter that it was about Christmas, and so I'm just thinking, though, like now today, I think we're still struggling with how to handle that, setting aside the war on Christmas and all that. But like nobody wants to be a dick about it. You don't want to assume something about somebody, even with something as seemingly innocuous as a greeting. But like, I feel like uh, the, the phrase I think keeps going through my head is I feel like, for example, being a very observant Jew in the 70s must be must be worse than like being a vegan today. We're like, there's an option for you, but like it's really not the best we've got. Like, you know, like, yeah, okay, we'll take that into consideration. When we make the poster and we have to go look up how to say all these things in different languages, we'll find a way to work in some Hanukkah. But, you know, yeah. Hanukkah is kind of a neutered Christmas for Jews. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to acknowledge that. But, like, you know, how do you, how do, you do that as a family? Like, you, I mean, nobody wants to, wants to be a dick about this except for the Chris War on Christmas people. Like, nobody right. wants to be a jerk about this. You don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And the Christmas, right. the holidays are already fraught enough without adding all this drama. You Boy, know, it's... For sure. It's... I, I, but all of that is part of a, a thing like we have made it our cultural imperative to presume that everyone wants to be part of the mainstream and that the mainstream needs to be broad enough that it encompasses everyone. And I think in this up until very, very recently, um, 
to whatever degree, uh, like smaller groups of of uh, culture were like not included at all in the mainstream, you also had the advantage of being uh, of knowing that you were outside the mainstream and that being a thing of its own appeal. And I think I think we. If you were seven years old and in school and everybody was talking about Jesus and you were Jewish, it could have been very uncomfortable and you could have felt like, why am I excluded from Christmas? But I think within the Jewish community um, of adults, there was absolutely no interest in being, you know, included in the in Christian mainstream. Nobody cared among adult Jews whether or not they mentioned Hanukkah on the evening news because there was a there was a complete understanding we are a separate community we have our own traditions we are happy more than happy to be excluded from the mainstream culture as long as you don't come yeah try right. and burn our synagogue right yes, yes. and this was a thing that i personally saw when gay culture went into the mainstream because when i first Right, Which, and that's it's changed a lot since then. Where it used to Incredible. be like, hell no, I don't want to be a parent. Like that, don't right. don't include me in your family thing. Like I got my own thing going on. Stop trying to turn me into like a version of me that you understand. Yeah, right. I mean the the whole notion of I mean there were always gay people that just wanted to settle down and be a happy couple and live just in people a home. Just didn't want to be harassed, you know. But there there was like not for God's this, sake, please like, don't come to our bars and fuck them up. P- please right. stop trying to turn us into the sympathetic friend. Like just let me be yeah. a person. And there stop. was no big push to to <laughs> domesticate and suburbanize no. the or or to feel to make it so, even within gay culture. I don't doubt that, that it was always that is there. The new but there normal. No, exactly. That 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 really feels like at least in my exposure, it feels like something in the last ten fifteen years. And what's been lost is this completely like enveloping, uh, separate and other like gay culture, which had all its own touchstones, all its own secret language, all its own. And, and to whatever degree, like there was persecution involved within the within the bubble. There was no desire to be like mainstreamed. Yeah. It was it was. It was part of the appeal and not part of the appeal, but it was it was a wonderful thing. I mean, and the thing is, we all know what it's like to have a secret culture. It's the thing in in a lot of our lives that we prize the most. So the idea that that equality under the law also means which is the thing that we all absolutely desire and equality under the law and, and freedom from being openly oppressed is a thing that 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 is what we call justice and that's what we're all working toward but the idea that mainstream culture should be a thing that that in that is completely inclusive of everybody it kind of misses the point of mainstream which is a thing that no, we that to exclude yourself from or to even be excluded from i mean another word for mainstream in some ways is uh hegemony I mean, it's a way of <clears throat> mainstream. I mean, to me, I, I think about hegemony and the way I learned it back in back in the day was the hegemony, cultural hegemony, was this idea that like, especially in an author, authoritarian regime, but really anywhere, the most almost the most radical of ideas can become kind of rounded off and incorporated into the system such that it's it's very difficult to be outside the system because the system eventually makes everything part of it. Right. It absorbs and neuters all difference. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, neuters, you, neuters is a good way to put it. Yeah, 
Yeah, you remember for many years where mainstream in our culture was synonymous with dull and and uh, useless in a way, mm-hmm. and now we're now the opposite is true. Now we're trying to mainstream every, uh, you know, every like permutation of difference. Well, mainstream and also it, now is code for dishonest. Mainstream now mm-hmm. is you you take this thing that's truthful from my news product and then take all the truth out of it to put it into your news product product because you don't tell the truth. You're not you're not being <laughs> right. honest about this story. But a lot of the a lot of the gay people I know that are my age, you know, in a way they kind of uh, I mean they're glad for uh they're glad to have been like it, within the culture taken out of the out of the enforced closet but they also lament all that was lost culturally you know now it's just like oh i guess i'm supposed to get married now right um, well i but, mean and but, of course you got to account a little bit for you know aids in the 80s and like i'm I, i'm still I feel like I'm still as many documentaries and things I've read and, you know, in some extent lived through. I mean, I had friends with HIV and AIDS in college, uh, you know, in the even in the 80s. But, you know, I'm still getting my head around how much of America was lost over about eight to 10 years. It's mm-hmm. I'm still really getting that there are certain, especially in creative things like, you know, like the dance and theater community in New York just gutted eviscerated i mean it's still it's like you talked about this and like all the all the lives you know lot you know the lives just the the people who were just normal people the soldiers lost in world war ii but then just the how many trombone players died in world war ii when you look at it that way it's kind of staggering and i don't know i'm sorry i'm changing the topic here but yeah it's it's you know back then you could come to a place you could go to greenwich village you could go to the castro and you could find this little terrarium to live in where every, not every it wasn't like everybody agreed on the same thing but like there was so much shared cultural dna about what we were here for and they weren't interfered with too surpassingly much and it got to very quickly turn into this thriving culture within like fewer than a dozen years you've got this like really thriving community of something that used to be considered so outre like and like you must it must be kind of a bummer to like for all those reasons to see that go away you know where, to where it's now it's, it's pet it's pet stores and dildos but like you can also get baby stuff there it's the weirdest thing because from within American culture, right, it's very easy to look at, <clears throat> I mean, the vast majority of the people in the world and say they're living on a dollar a day. Right. And that amount of crushing poverty is a thing that is a tragedy and that we from our wealthy tower need to address this tragedy for other on behalf of other people we need to lift them out of their dollar a day existence and and from my perspective it often takes the form of a kind of do they know it's christmas level of condescension <laughs> where it's like the people in the africa the only way that i can really feel sympathy for these people is to realize how much i'd miss christmas if i was starving yeah right like like the people in africa who <laughs> really, don't know really it's christmas makes you think. <laughs> like they don't need to know it's christmas that's not the point no and so from my from my experience as a traveler right everywhere you go no matter how much money people have they are like they are uh super like glad to be in love they love music and dance they uh, are glad for the food that they get and the then the proportion of people that are uh, that are literally starving uh is you know uh, is you wish that you could do something for them but most people that are living on a dollar a day have a quality of life that maybe surpasses 
the quality of life that you have if you're making $200,000 a year and live alone in a, you know, in a cold art filled uh, condo downtown and have no friends and, uh, and spend all day on the internet yelling at people behind an egg avatar, like to live in a, in a village where your hut has dirt, a dirt floor, but you're surrounded by people you love. And just from a strictly human standpoint, your quality of life is higher. And our rich condescension to, to those people is, is pathetic. We don't realize how much we have destroyed our quality of life because of our wealth. And, you know, you say Greenwich Village and Cast, the Castro, but I don't know if I've ever told the story of my first exposure to a gay bar. And it was in Anchorage in about 1985. And my, no, I don't, if you have, I don't remember it. My friend Kel and I were out at night driving around in the car. You and Kel. <laughs> Kel and I were up there, and we were just looking for trouble. And in Anchorage in the 80s, the gay bars were all very subdued on the outside. They didn't, I mean, there was one that, w- that everybody knew was the main sort of gay bar that you would drive by and kind of look at like, oh, there's the gay bar. But there were other gay bars, and they were just, you know, they 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 played it pretty subtly. They weren't called like cuffs or anything. They were just like, you know, smaller little little t- pubs and taverns. And Kel and I were driving around downtown. It was two o'clock in the morning, and I, you know, we used to do this all the time, just looking for something, anything, you know, looking for something that isn't nailed down. We're driving along, and we see this bar emptying out. It's 2 a.m. and everyone in the bar is coming out at the same time. And there's probably 50 people pouring out of this bar. And as we drive by, we see that the people coming out of this bar are, it's a very colorful cast of people. And so we pull over and we're like, what the hell is going on in that bar? And we, we park kind of in the shadows and we see we, it gradually dawns on us, like, oh, they're gay. Everyone that's coming out of that bar is gay. Mm-hmm. And they're behaving very uh, flamboyant, a lot of them flamboyantly, like, oh, my God. And the whole, you're seeing it all unfold. And I had a gay friend in high school who was, like, a lovely guy. and, and But I had never experienced a whole room of people all coming out and it becomes obvious that they're, that the conversation is continuing in the parking lot and they're making plans to go to a, they're making plans to go to a party and we're seeing all this from across the street and like they're all getting in their cars and then one by one, their cars all leave the parking lot and all head off together in a convoy. And you know, this is a, like a lower middle class bar. So they're Pintos and, you know, uh, K cars and stuff. It's not like a, it's not like a glamorous scene, but they all head off in a, in a parade and Kel and I just instinctively like start the car, follow the parade. And so off we go. It's two in the morning. There's nobody on the street. There's a parade of nine cars or something. And then Kel and I back a quarter of a mile behind following along and the parade goes off and off into the suburbs, then off all the way to Eagle river, like outside of Anchorage. And we're just following the whole time. Like what is going to happen? What is going to happen? And they go into this neighborhood, wend their way and come to a little house and everybody parks on the street outside and they all pile out of their cars and into this little house. And Kel and I park across the street and we watch the whole party. And it's very fun. Everybody's having a good time. They all know each other. 
pour into this house and we're sitting across the street and we're like, what do we do now? Like, what do we do? And we both wanted to go to the party. And so we look at each other and, you know, we're high school kids and this is a risky moment because it's like, do you want to go to the party? Yes, I kind of do. Do you want to go to the party? Yes. But this is in a time and in a culture when it was it was just commonplace for you know the, the biggest put down you could say to a guy was like, you're a fag. And now we're sitting here across the street from this party and we're like, let's go. So we pile out of the car, march across the lawn, knock on the door. And everybody in the party that was invited to the party is already in the party. So the party gets quiet. You can hear it. Like, who's at the door? And they open the door. And here are these two high school boys. And we said, can we come to your party? (laughs) And they said, sure. And invited us in. And the party picks back up again. But everyone in the party is like, who are you? Where did you come from? How did you find our party? And so we just cop to it. We were parked across the street from your bar. We saw everybody come out. And we followed you. And now we're here. And we were completely embraced. And they had so many questions about being a straight high school boy. And we had so many questions about like, like who, like she is obviously a boy and she's dressed like a girl. What is that? And, and big laugh. And then everybody explains. And it was Anchorage gay culture in the eighties. So this was a bar that was like, it wasn't a drag bar. It wasn't a dyke bar. Everybody was there, right? I mean, there were lesbians at this party. There, It was a complete uh, rainbow of of what represented, like, gay and alternative culture because there were also straight, like, friends of gay people at this party. Was it really, like, goths? Yeah. I mean, the whole – I mean, they, they weren't – they were gay goths, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't, like, also a goth bar. Um, but it was an incredible night, And the whole thing was, for me, like also fraught with sexual tension because it was like, what's going to happen? I don't know where we were taught that uh, that part of gay culture was that was a promiscuity. And so uh, is this a promiscuous party? And I'm 16. I'm a virgin. I'm desperate to have sex with somebody. But I don't. Is it going to happen tonight? I don't know. What would the context be? Who here is who here am I most attracted to? Are they attracted to me? And there was a lot of flirtation. But it was this, uh, for me, like this shattering moment where I realized there were subcultures that weren't just punk. Because I knew about punk subculture, and I was, uh, you know, a reluctant, like, uh, scowling, uh, adjacent punk, because my sister was punk, and I was her escort, and so... You know, I went to every punk show that was ever in Anchorage, but I always was leaning against the back wall going, this is bullshit. But I was there, you know, and I loved it. But here was a subculture that wasn't punk that also felt permanent. Like it was, this was what it it felt like, like sturdy. It felt like what? It felt sturdy. Yeah, it felt sturdy. There was a tremendous sense of belonging and inclusiveness within it. And... I, and both Kel and I felt 
some envy at the amount of love that, you know, a love and acceptance that was sort of that permeated this small party of very different people. You know, they, there wasn't a, there wasn't a single gay, a single type of gay. It was every kind of person at this party. Right. And, you know, and that was a lightning bolt for me that from then on, I, you know, personally had no, um, had no prejudice. And before that I had the prejudice of ignorance and after that, I was just like, well, whatever. I mean, if you say, if you say anything about gays, it's just because you don't know anything about them. And, you know, my first job when I got to Seattle was in a gay bar. Uh, so it was like, it wasn't just the Castro. Every little town had this going on. And I think in the Midwest and in the red states now, that's still true. If you're... You know, if you're in Missouri or you're in Kansas, there are there still is this bar and there still is that party. And from the Castro or from Seattle, we look at it and we go, oh, my God. And because there is violence directed at those populations, we imagine that their whole existence is characterized by fear and violence. But it isn't. You know, the violence and the and the hatred and the exclusion are are they they don't actually impact what it's like to be in that space. In a way, all that hostility creates the the love and solidarity in that space. And that's a hard thing to I think for everybody in that room, if they were completely mainstreamed, that would be lost. And that's and that's a thing that in the pursuit of like total liberation and and I would never from outside say that it that that was preferable, right? I can't say that. I can't know that. Obviously, you want to be able to walk down the street and and be yourself and not be assaulted. But whatever that small, and punk rock used to be like that too. You know, you were at risk when you were out in public wearing a mohawk that some rednecks were going to beat your ass. And that was part of, you know, that was part of what made punk rock so amazing from within. And, you know, I'm not at risk of getting my ass beat and never was. But uh, uh, partly I felt envy for the for like the small community mm -hmm. um, that I never would have access to really, unless I was, unless I was faking it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, it's, it, it, hmm. on, on the one hand, it sounds probably kind of odd or ironic for somebody like you or me to say, you feel envy for that because, one reason people end up finding those little caresses in life is because maybe oftentimes they don't have anybody else. And and right. also to your point, though, you, you are right. Uh, I mean, obviously, when you go to a big town, there's going to be gay bars. Um, there were times where I just I didn't know bars were gay bars because I didn't know what to look for. I didn't even know what it really meant. 
Mm-hmm. But also that, I mean, I think one thing is like we were sort of raised, once you knew what a gay bar was, you figured it was a place where just men were having sex in the bathroom. And that's right. not what it was. I mean, it could be, but it was it was just a place, a, it could just be a safe place. It could be a fun place. A safe it could place. Be a, yeah, but I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to infantilize anybody here. I'm, I feel like I, I'm getting a little dangerous. I don't want to make anybody adorable to fit my narrative. <laughs> They're just people. And yeah. it's nice to be around people where you can do your, do your thing and, and be who you want to be without, as you say, fear of getting your ass kicked. I don't think it even has to be that dramatic. It's just that in any towns, I, I guess I'm, I'm thinking in particular of towns in Florida where I lived, where it would be you know two years before I figured out, oh, that's a gay bar. I didn't I didn't get that. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, yeah. uh, there was it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't called like the third knuckle or something. It was right. just called gyms or whatever. And like <laughs> gyms, that, right? Right. But yeah. it wasn't it wasn't what you thought of from like chick publications and Quincy. Like right. it, this is it's it's not anyway. I, I just think it is interesting to think about though. Everybody wants a place that you didn't even know existed. I think we've all gotten that. Like even if you're just a little bit of a geek and you find you know geek friends or for some kids it could be scouts i don't know like whatever it is it could be it could be a christian church but like to find some place that feels welcoming uh and that is not asking you to capitulate and in fact not asking you to capitulate on your personality but saying hey tell me more about your personality like that's okay here like well and and, when you you first meet up with somebody who like knows this nerd thing and they know it more than you it's uh, it's warm and it's humbling and it's weird and you're like like where has this been for my whole life and it's it's the best and you know tourists tourists would notwithstanding it's still a wonderful thing gawkers notwithstanding it's still really nice to like have a place where you can go and, and feel like you're more yourself than you were before you found it it seems like a more natural human state and this is why i kind of connect it to this idea that uh, that do they know it's christmas is so it's just so rude let alone destructive because cities are unnatural agglomerations of people yeah villages if, and tribes make more sense from yeah, a certain if standpoint any of us if any of us in any walk of life could say that we had 50 close friends, 50 people close to us, including family, distant relatives and friends, fellow villagers, like there's nothing any of us want more. You can't sustain 100 close friends. 50 is is maxing out. And if you live in a 200 person village and you have, let's say, 30 rivals, 50 people that are in your family and are close friends, and then, you know, some other people that are that share the village. But you know every single one of their names. And you and at night, everyone gathers around the the uh, in their respective little compounds, gathers around the fire and tells stories and sings like that is the natural state of human beings. And to be living each in our own you know, in, uh, in our nuclear family, in our I'm sorry, nuclear family, in our um, in our uh, closed door homes where we don't know our neighbors' names, that is the pathology, and and to to imagine that freedom means that every one of 300 million people accepts me utterly and unreservedly is a is a modern uh, like misapprehension that that the feeling within your village of 300 people and how it relates to the village of 300 people that is a a mile and a half down the road like there's friendship there but also competition and in some case if you go 10 miles down the road maybe there's a tremendous lack of understanding i've told you about when i walked across europe and every single village as i headed east 
the villagers in, and this is in Germany. This isn't in, you know, uh, Pakistan. I mean, this is in, this is in the center of the, what you the would developed consider world. Yeah. What, yeah. And what you would consider the hyper developed world. Mm -hmm. People would say, oh, well, you know, you're headed tomorrow. You're going to cross into Bavaria and watch out for those people because Still. they, they are animals. Wow. Wow. And, and, the, and everyone in Germany was like, do you know, when you get into the Czech Republic, watch out because it, they are all like pickpockets. And then the Czechs <laughs> felt that way about the, about the Slovaks and the Slovaks felt that way about the Hungarians. And everyone agreed that the Romanians were all pickpockets. And I was just, I was, it was just incredible. The, 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 the sense that as you moved East, there was continual suspicion of the people that lived 100 miles East. Um, like, like lasting thousand year old but they're, they're more more uh, more primitive and uh dishonest yeah like closer to closer to some sort of uh like slavic agrarianism and then in and by that uh by virtue of that their water is bad their church is bad their intentions are bad um and from one German village to the next, I was I just found this to be like incredible. The 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 people in the northwest of Germany felt the people in the south. Yeah, you should hear what the people to the west say about you. Yeah. And I and what I don't know is if I had been walking the other way from east to west, um I don't say, think that, say they're snobs. <laughs> well, yeah, that's right. Like, oh well, you know, if you head east from here, you're not gonna be able to afford to get a dinner because like the they're, people they're, there, they're idiots. They pay this much, you know, for pork or whatever. Well, no, I, there's never, there's, I, I found there was never that amount of knowledge. <clears throat> well, the, the knowledge was confined to, oh, if it's you all had, like folk, folk wisdom about what we know about these people. Not, not that because there, there are enough people from the East who have gone West and come back that what they know is everyone in Germany gets a thousand Deutschmarks a month from the government. And they say that from the perspective of uh, of their own village, where ten Deutschmarks would make a huge difference in in their month. You know, like ten Deutschmarks would enable them to to buy a car or to live in a nicer apartment. And so they've heard in Germany, everyone gets a thousand Deutschmarks a month free from the government. And what they don't realize is that. A pack of cigarettes in Romania costs twenty-five cents, and a pack or ten cents, and a pack of cigarettes in Germany costs six dollars. Mm -hmm. There's no, there, there's an understanding of how much money there is, but not an understanding that there's a commensurate increase in cost and difficulty. And so that's the that's the experience you have, I think, moving east to west, and moving west to east is just like the people there are so poor that they that they have to resort to stealing, and they have no educations. And as a traveler moving through those spaces at a walking pace, I mean, you do see the changes. They're, they're enormous. But you also feel like, I mean, there's a lot more community in Romania than there will ever be in Germany. And in the end, like, which do you want? Right. You know? I um I partly I I feel like uh, I had a funny side door into gay culture because I did not have a surpassing number. Hey, I, I had some in the closet 
ish friends where we didn't talk about it in high school, but very few. But I, I, had, I did have gay and bi friends in college, but it was not like a big part of my own culture. It was music that got me into it because that's yeah. where, on the one hand, um, for several years when I was most into music in my life, it was often gay bars that would have what was then called New Wave Night. Um, yep. But even if you didn't go on New Wave Night, it was where they would play just really good dance music. That's yeah. gay bars is where that was happening and you know for me it was not any kind of like oh a furtive gesture against frat culture necessarily it's just that that was a better bar to go to they were pretty tolerant of these dorks coming in and messing up their place on tuesday nights but like that was that was for me that was a an early exposure to large numbers of gay people and you realize hey you know they're pretty harmless they're not uh <laughs> <laughs> no they're not <laughs> They they got inside me and changed me forever. I wouldn't say they were harmless. Uh, you you got to stay away from the Anchorage gays. Ooh. Can I give you a uh, an American girl hack? Yeah. Okay. Here's the thing. So you're already the costly part is taken care of. You got the doll. I Just got the doll. The, the American girl doll store. You, she has very soft hair. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You got. You should brush it though. Yeah. You got to brush it. But but you know, uh, just for what it's worth, the uh, the Target stores yeah. they sell a line. I forget what it's called, but you'll definitely know it when you see it. They sell a line of accessories and tableau and clothes that just, just so happen to exactly fit American Girl dolls. And they are oh. a lot less expensive. Tell me what uh, they, how are, how are they branded? Uh, I forget the name of it, but you go, you go, you go and you'll see like, you know, um, you'll, you'll, you'll instantly recognize it. I don't know the name of it, but like if you want a less costly option... And you want to, you want to be a hero and uh, or have Santa be a hero? That's uh-huh. uh, that's a that's a good that's a good American Girl hack. Now the store you can go and it's fun. You go to the store, you can have tea with your doll. Also, the uh, the restrooms have a place to put your doll while you're uh, using the bathroom. Wait a minute, you're saying that there are American Girl doll stores? Oh, it's a thing. That's a whole thing. There's books. My daughter's read the books. Uh, you can read about your doll. Like my, my her favorite doll, Rebecca, uh, is a they're a, a Jewish immigrant immigrant family, mm-hmm. and they're trying to bring more of their family back from Russia. And there's a lot mm-hmm. of drama. One kid breaks his ankle. No spoilers. Uh, she's very excited about the about the books. But yeah, no, it's it's a whole thing. And the stores are. I mean, my daughter gets to go there. Mom takes her there for her birthday, and that's like a big event every year. I'm gonna, I'm gonna but have you to don't need that. to get you don't need to get into their brand as long, long as Target is getting they're getting away with murder with these things because you mm-hmm. can get really cool stuff that just happens to fit an American Girl doll at their stores. Uh, you know, one of our one of our earliest children's books here was about a young girl from a from a shtetl. Uh, sort of a 19th century uh, like village, I have to assume in Poland, whose rabbi uh, has a certain amount of opportunity to send one person from the village to America. And in his rabbinical wisdom, he picks this uh, orphan girl who lives with her grandmother hmm. and says, you will, and she's, she, her grandmother has taught her how to sew lace. And he says, you are, I'm going to That's choose That's so interesting. You. Rebecca's family makes doilies. That's how they can afford to bring people over from Russia. It costs $30 uh-huh. to bring them from Russia. It's a lot of money. Yeah. Interesting. And, uh, and, um, and so she's very scared, obviously. And she, uh, makes the, she makes the trip. And she gets to America. And there's a, there, she has a relative there who, um, or, you know, or a friend of a friend who puts her to work. 
sewing in the in some sort of like wedding dress capacity and she's recognized as a as a great uh or you know a really good seamstress so everyone treats her kindly in that culture and she saves up enough money and um and she uh, she meets a nice boy on the on the ship uh, across the the passage and they they uh they I don't want to you know I don't want to ruin the, yeah, the no story for you um but eventually she uh you know she, I, I am going to ruin the man okay, for you because uh, it doesn't matter but she saves up enough money to bring her grandmother over to America and even though that seems like kind of a wasted effort because her grandmother is a little old lady and is just going to come to America and be a burden and and uh she should have been left in Poland it's a wonderful end to the book because it shows you uh, how uh, lovely the girl is. And um, we got this book pretty early on. I, I was at um, I was at Powell's Books in Portland, and I saw this book, and I said, you know, I am a, a Judeophile, and this seems like a fun story, a fun way to introduce Marlowe to uh, Eastern European history, my particular uh, interest. And I read this book for her, and uh, I was sobbing by the end. Wow! And what's what? What's the book called? Uh, let's see. I have it. Um, oh, I, don't, I don't take you off it, but if you let me know, I'll, I'd love to see that. Yeah, I'm bad at uh, remembering the titles of books. Um, and then everyone who's ever read the book also sobs. And I've read the book 40 times, and I continue to choke up at the end. And I don't know what to do about it. I shouldn't still be crying about this book. Um, and, you know, uh, my daughter loves it and wants it read to her. Uh, and I don't know, like, I don't know where to find other children's books that are of this quality. Because it's... It's a book that she'll be able to read and enjoy when she's 10, but also I read it to her when she was four, and she she loves the story, you know, she'll, she'll love the story over the course of her life. And I don't know, you know, like, Go the Fuck to Sleep by Adam Monsbach is not a book, maybe she'll love it when she's 19. I read it to her a couple of times, and uh, until she was of the age where she was like, what is that word that you keep skipping over? And I was like, well, this book's going in the closet yeah um my daughter recently read a good one um she's reading it after school just finished a, about a, a little boy in a japanese <laughs> japanese internment camp no she really enjoyed that uh-huh <laughs> i mean these are some of the these are some of the the, the things that we didn't have access well they can to. read these until they're ready for fairy tales that shit's too scary right right i have never read her any kind of grim you gotta read her rumpelstiltskin it's so bad he stamps his foot and then he tears himself in two. <laughs> <laughs> Just like me. Oh. Happy holidays.